Hey, I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for the Matt Townsend Show today. Coming up, we're talking about fear. Why do we all get scared? Why do we worry about the wrong things? How do we manage our own fear? We're talking about fear and all the things that are scary next on the Matt Townsend Show. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. In his first court appearance today, the remaining Boston Marathon bombing suspect pled not guilty to the worst attack on the U.S. since the 9-11 tragedy in 2001. If convicted of carrying out the attack, the 19-year-old could face the death penalty. President Obama is turning up the pressure on the Republican-controlled House to pass new immigration reforms. The president is touting a new White House report on the subject, which says the reforms will boost economic growth and decrease deficits. A Senate bill designed to freeze student loan interest rates has failed a procedural vote. So far, lawmakers have not been able to agree if rates should be capped permanently or follow market trends. The Federal Aviation Administration is increasing the experience required of all pilots on U.S. airlines, with the new rules going into effect later this week. However, FAA officials are making it clear this decision has been a long time coming and is not related to the San Francisco crash last weekend. Star Wars creator George Lucas is going to be honored with a National Medal of Arts on Monday, presented by President Obama. A White House statement praising Lucas says he has transported us to new worlds and created some of the most iconic films of all time. In world news, former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi's Muslim Brotherhood is being blamed for inciting violence that led troops to kill over 50 of his supporters earlier this week. And now Brotherhood leaders are being arrested. North Korean leaders are opening the door to revive nuclear talks frozen since 2008, but are still not ready to give up their nuclear capabilities, citing U.S. hostility as a need for a continued, continued excuse me, nuclear deterrent. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about fear. Why do we get scared? We've got, of course, Rob and Merritt and Bryce and Skyler here. And Matt is out of town today. And I'm Kim Power Stilson filling in right here on BYU Radio. Fear. What are we talking about today? Fear. I'm already scared. Are we talking about goosebumps? Creepiness, scariness, worry. Worry's a big one. I think worry's most of my fears, you know. So more than things that are go bump in the night, you worry about things that may happen that are maybe detrimental to you or your family. I, I worry about things that I will do wrong that will come back to bite me later, you know. <laughs> so fear. So I, I have this, this – is this common? When I was a college student here at Brigham Young University, I would always dream, have that dream where I forgot to take a test. Like, you know, weeks after finals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or I, I'd have where I – it was always some English class I needed to graduate. And I, I still have this dream now. And <laughs> they had all these reading and assignments where you had to read the book and then kind of write as you go. And then at the end, it would be a big paper. And I'd gone I'd, – I'd just forgotten about the class. And so it was about three days before the end, and I'm trying to figure out, oh, boy, I wonder can I pull this off and still pass this class that I completely forgot about. And you wake up and you're scared. I'm like, oh. 
I never need to take an English class again. That was just a bad nightmare, you know? So some fears are irrational and some are very real. I mean, there's a fear reaction that people have that, uh, you know, the fight or flight. But there's also the irrational, which is you shouldn't have to be worrying about an English class after you graduate. (laughs) Yeah, you have graduated. You're good. You're good. (laughs) No more English. Have some hot milk before bed and don't worry about it anymore. So why do we do that? I mean, do you all have fears? Is that what we're talking about today, fears that each of us have? Yeah, we were talking before the show, actually, about our irrational fears, the ones that don't actually make sense. Because, I mean, I have a lot of fears that do make sense, but I have ones that don't make sense either. For example, rock climbing terrifies me. But there's no reason it should because I'm confident in my physical ability. I... I'm not afraid of heights. I'm not really afraid of falling. But once I get up there on the wall, I can't move. It's terrifying to me for some reason. You physically cannot move. That's totally my response is freeze. I just cannot. It's terrifying. And I also grew up being completely scared of aliens. So (laughs) like every single night, nightmare about an alien. I had dreams about meteors falling in my backyard. All when I was about five or six. So do you think that stems, like, for instance, my daughter, who is uh, 17 almost, is afraid of trains. And when we were in London, we went to get on a train, and my she shoved the suitcase to my husband first. It broke, and it got stuck in the door as the door was closing. And my daughter is running along behind the train, thinking she's going to be left in London. And we finally get her into the train, and now she won't go near them. But that, that was based on something that actually happened. So that would be... yeah. A relevant fear. But both of those, nothing <laughs> leading up to them would have suggested that I, I've never been hurt rock climbing. I've hardly ever gone rock climbing. And I've never had an encounter with aliens. So, the alien is an odd one. <laughs> yeah, that one's weird. I think a part of it had to do with learning about black holes when I was in a kindergarten. We had this unit on space. I think it was too much for my poor little brain to handle. Black holes, way too scary. I don't know if aliens is related to that. We'll find out. Eventually, I guess. Now, I, and I hear Rob is, um, you couldn't be Superman, I understand. Oh, I leap tall buildings. and it's, Hey, I actually think tall buildings are re- really cool. And one of the neatest things is to go up on the top floor and look out on the city. But I have this irrational fear of being in them. In them, but not on them. Yeah, or just under them. <laughs> or wherever. So you could walk along Fifth Avenue and and look up at the Empire State Building. But but you always kind of look back to make sure it's not going to fall on top yeah, of you. you know? okay. Well, I was in New York and we actually, I heard this crack. I was crossing Crosswalk by Grand Central Station. I hear this crack, this resounding crack. I'm on Sixth Avenue. I look up and I see this like bit of cardboard wafting down on me. And I, something said, yell, run, shout, run. And I was like, it's just cardboard. Run! And so we run across town. And as we're running, glass and nails and boards are falling into us. And I'm thinking it's 911, you know, 911 again. And I'm running. And we look back. And this entire shower, a glass panel, was being lifted up to a side of a building. And it snapped and broke and came down corner first, hit oh, into the boy. passenger seat of the cab, took the ceiling down to the seat. And there was just rubble all over the streets. And everyone said, oh, you saved their, I've saved our lives. But every time now I hear a crack, I look up. Every time. Yeah. I, I don't know. if it's They can just, fall on you. It's true. They can, especially in New York. If it's the scale, because, I mean, I a three-story building is fine, even though there's two stories of material above my head. I, for some reason, that's fine. But I get around something that's 15 stories, 30 stories, 45 stories. And you're tall. Yeah. No. <laughs> but I but I just don't feel comfortable around tall buildings. It's just for no great reason why. How 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 many stories is the place you're living in right now? 
three. It's three. Uh, two, a basement and two floors. And and you feel like totally secure in, yeah. at your home. Just and, and when I think about it, if I know anything about you know, uh, single college kid area. Uh, housing is that place is probably hardly even hey, maintained. <laughs> I escaped yeah. that. I graduated and moved up to from substandard to standard well, residential well, and, construction. And, and here's the thing so that not, I think not quite as bad. Uh, when you have you know, your big tall buildings, like they're engineered and there there's tons of quality control and there's tons of building codes for it. And Except like, for the crane. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's what they crane. said about the Loma Perita 1989 San Francisco quake. Is that the safest place to be was probably in a high rise right. on the rollers? Yes, because they roll right. Yeah. But if they you were to sway. give me a list of places to be <laughs> during the Loma Perita quake. I would no, I wouldn't have high rise building. No, I'm definitely not. Is it the glass? I mean, do you notice that if it was a brick building versus? I, I think it's structural collapse. I'm worried about the whole thing just falling apart. Maybe it's a, a 9/11 thing or something. Sounds I don't like know. a control issue. Maybe. Does that come? Did, were your folks afraid of height? No, Heights no, or not, not that buildings, I, tall buildings. Are they? But, are they afraid of being crushed? No. <laughs> were they in that earthquake in the wrong no, part of town? No. Okay. Yeah. So I don't so, know. Uh, so that's a fear that you, I mean, do you, when you go out on maybe, dates maybe. and you're, you get in your building, do you shudder and you have to explain why? Well, or it's, it... it's, for instance, I, I one time stayed at uh, a hotel in Orange County or whatever. And it was this 12 or 13 story building. But what was really weird was the uh, entryway where you park your car and check in is level with the first floor. But, but the, the hotel's over your head. And you almost have the sensation to duck as you drive underneath. And then it's like – and then I'd walk in the hotel and suddenly I felt safe. I was in a more of a building. But then I'd go back out where my car is and you almost kind of, OK, I got to get out from underneath this thing because that's not natural to be driving underneath 12 stories of hotel rooms. I don't know. It's, it's completely irrational. I'm with you though. I, I go in those underground parking and I duck. Involuntarily, I lower my head. Like it's not going to get my, you know, ski bars first. It's going to get me. You know, oh, just duck. the height right. of it. Yeah. The, or anytime even a drive through where you have the pole above the uh, drive through right. you yeah. have to kind of duck. To... Like I actually did that today driving somewhere. Like I'm about as tall as my car and it said seven feet. I mean, I know my car isn't seven feet. It's close, <laughs> but it's not seven feet. But I still drove up and I was like, oh, let's make sure it's. <laughs> Make sure it's gonna make it. It made it fine. It's and then you physically duck your head yeah. as if that's going to make the car shorter. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I, I have you noticed if you're in different cars, um, drive-through windows of fast food places, right? This our society spends a lot of time at drive-through windows. Have you ever noticed the different, the varying levels? They're all set up for SUVs. Yeah. I know because every time I have to reach out my car window, I'm reaching <laughs> way up. <laughs> Well, my husband has a fear of ordering uh, through the intercom. I mean, he's a cop, so sorry, honey. But he has that fear of doing that. So he gets up and he just turns into a trembling, jumbling mass of, hurry, what do you want? Some say, you know, because he doesn't like to communicate with, uh, you know, just a faceless person. And then you get up to the window and he's, you know, just fine. He's reached up, whatever. I'd be more afraid of, you know, having someone jump down on you, you know, from those big. I get afraid of those windows more. You know, someone throws your burger and it hits you in the face or something. Throw throw a soft drink in your car. Yeah, you know? there's you can't you can't you know you can't protect, but it, it's an intercom, right? But, what's bizarre about irrational fears is I'm explaining mine, and they seem completely real and natural to have. And then you're describing your husband having trouble at the box to order, and I go. That sounds a little crazy, yeah. you know? <laughs> know. So, so judging each other, 
on our irrational fears is not a uh, – it's not equitable, you know? And I know Skylar has a big fear. I think that that sounds – when I saw that on the printout, I thought it was crazy. What's your fear? <laughs> well, it all started in elementary school when I saw the movie called The Fugitive with Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. And in that movie, Harrison Ford, his character gets wrongly wrongly convicted of the murder of his wife. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Just, I mean, well, it, it happens, is a 20-year-old movie. It happens but... at the very beginning, too. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> what? That's the very beginning of the movie. That's a, it's a great movie. Well, no point seeing it now. <laughs> Anyways, um, after I saw that movie, I was convinced that that's how my life was going to end up. I was convinced that I was going to be wrongly convicted of a serious crime, of murder or something, and I would end up... I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to pull off what Harrison Ford pulls off, and I would end up in jail for the rest of my life. And to solidify <laughs> my thoughts, I remember in first grade, there was this redheaded kid, and uh, we had a little playground gang, I guess. It was just a group of friends, and you know, we'd go around and wreak havoc on the playground. And we, uh, we, uh, we went up to this kid, and, and we were all playing around, and they, they all dogpiled this kid. And I was like, I'm not going to do that, you know. And so I was standing on the side, but the teacher came to break it up. And since I was there, I got grabbed. And I was like, I wasn't doing that. And I got put against the wall. And I remember being so upset in first grade that I had to sit against the wall for my precious recess time for something I did not do. And I knew that I was going to get convicted of murder or something when I knew (laughs) I didn't do it. Justified your fears. And I was going to have to go to prison when it was not me, you know. This is the reason you don't let your kids watch PG movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Skylar's going to be in jail in 10 years. You'll be like, I knew it. I, I knew it. Well, actually, coming up out the window, there's a highway patrolman coming up. Oh, he's, now he's headed, know it. He's headed for the him. studio. I'm going to head out. I'll see you guys. <laughs> so why, why do you think we have those fears? I, I think that's interesting. It's fascinating that all of our fears are entirely different. Though Merritt, you know, your alien one, I can see. I think that's a legitimate view. Yeah, it could happen. There's nothing. There's nothing irrational about that. No, interesting. We all have different fears, but there are also major differences in fear between men and women. And I did some research on that, and it was really interesting. For example, they I found a list of the the common fears of men and women, and one of the common fears of men is going to the doctor, but like a common fear of women is identity theft, which has happened to me. So it is definitely worth being afraid so that's less that's a rational more yeah these are okay. these are more rational but it's so, just interesting to see what kind of fears okay. more. each person has identity theft's not a big deal i mean i built one if they steal it i'll just build another <laughs> it'll be fine uh, mm. several thousand dollars out of my account from beijing china yeah. this year so Ooh, ouch yes. well another interesting thing though it, there was a study done at columbia university quite a bit while ago it was in the 1980s but they did the study where quite a while ago quite a while ago <laughs> but the they did fears of asking people to talk about what they feared about death. And men almost always talked about their own death. And women always talked about their loved one's deaths. So it is an interesting difference. But again, if we go back to the list of fears, men fear not being able to be a good provider, not being able to be a good husband or father, not being able to provide for their family like they should. Well, women feel more like they need to emotionally provide. So if a man were to die, he couldn't provide for his family like he oh. should. So it makes more sense if you view it in that light that a man would fear his own death because the consequences of that would be farther reaching. Why, I wonder, is it so disparate? Yeah. Well, a lot of it is kind of the social element, too, as well. Like men are 
typically taught to fear is weakness. You should not show fear under any circumstance. While, and though this is changing, women are taught that their fears should be, men can protect them from their fears. And so they're allowed to show them. Like the big so, giant uh, order box of the fast food drive through <laughs> I protect that. my husband from that all the time. <laughs> So that is so. In, it's so there is. It's is it like a, a just a gender society societal role versus an actual genetic, or is it a combination? Because I, I guess think that it's would probably be both. a combination. I mean, there, ha- I, especially with those things having to do with being a mother or father, very different. But a lot of it is just kind of the gender roles. What people expect you to fear creates that stigma. Kind of creates how you react to fear in the long run once you grow up. But I also um, found an interesting TED Talk that while I was doing research, and this author um, was claiming that fear is basically your imagination. Fear is stories because once you're afraid of something, you see something that's dangerous. For example, Rob sees a giant building, and he says – Buildings can fall down. I said buildings can fall down. But then he (laughs) creates a story in his head – where he is in a situation where a building falls down on him. So he makes his own little story. And so when kids are having fears, you know, you're taught to kind of ignore that story. But um, a lot of the great artists and the great authors that we know, for example, um, Hemingway had an overwhelming fear of death. Woody Allen does too. He talks about that one all the time. And just these fears kind of drive their artistic passion. And so the fear equals imagination. And I think I gave you a great quote that she said on that, yeah, talking it's... about how fear could actually be more useful than we think. Um, yeah, it says, read in the right way, our fears are an amazing gift to the imagination, a kind of everyday clairvoyance, a way of glimpsing what might be the future when there's still a time to influence how the future will play out. Properly read, our fears can offer us something as precious as our favorite works of literature, a little wisdom, a bit of insight, and a version of that, that most elusive thing, the truth. So... Wow, it's like yeah. George Orwell's 1984, Look right? At that. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Ooh. Our fears allow us to prepare. So you might have that building fall on you, Rob. Well, so. I hope not. But... <laughs> Me too, but, but that's fascinating. Yeah. That is truly – it gives you a perspective on all of the arts that has been rendered, all the literature that's been written, fueled by passion. Yeah, there we go. All right, you're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about fear. We'll be back with a rant from Bryce after this brief break. Sure, robots are useful, but will we ever build robots that are not creepy? Relatable robots coming up. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Robot manufacturers keep making progress on robots that can use human tools and environments and work with as well as for us. But for every person out there that loves robots, you can also find one who's just plain creeped out by them. That unease humans feel is called the uncanny valley problem, where robots sort of look real but don't act real. Solving this problem has been a goal at Hanson Robotics, which previously built famous animated model robot heads of Albert Einstein, as well as the late sci-fi author Philip K. Dick. Now, Hanson's pushing ahead with even more expressive bots, in an effort not just to escape the uncanny valley, but to give future robots actual empathy for humans, even if only in simulated form. They're doing this with more lifelike artificial robot skin, as well as with software that looks at a human face and reads their expressions to deduce their emotional state and create appropriate responses. 
Such tech also has therapy applications with certain types of autism patients who have trouble reading the feelings of people around them. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. On Thinking Aloud, you can hear host Marcus Smith talk with guests about a variety of topics. The subjects can range from superheroes to religion, sometimes even in the same conversation. One of the things that I have learned through studying superheroes and thinking about superheroes is that genuine spirituality is actually harder to do than a certain kind of orthodox religiosity. Join us for Thinking Loud at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt Townsend, who is away doing something that he's not afraid of, I'm sure. We've got uh, Bryce here, who's got some thoughts about irrational fears, and he would love to share them with us. Let's roll. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. I recently encountered some cool research on why humans experience feelings of creepiness. Feelings of fear make sense. We get them when we're in danger so that we avoid that situation so that we don't die. And when we feel secure, we don't anticipate any danger. But there's this zone in the middle where to some degree we know that we're safe and secure, but there's something wrong and we aren't entirely sure what that something is or how it may be dangerous. This is where we get feelings of creepiness. A simple example is something like those realistic dolls some people collect. I mean, if that's your hobby, that's totally cool. But a lot of people are creeped out by them because they know they're dolls, but they look a lot like an actual person. And because they're like people, they can present a danger the way an unfamiliar person can. Hence, creepiness. I have my own irrational fear, and I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it, so let me set this up. Years ago, I lived in the mountains of northern Idaho for a few months. It's really great up there, but it's also a little wild. My job had me doing a lot of driving during the day, and nobody was allowed to drive alone, so I had a partner with me while I was on my way to all of my stops. You can name just about any large North American mammal. I promise I've almost hit it with my truck. Thankfully, I always had daylight to help me notice any animals attempting to jaywalk into my bumper, but more than that, there was always someone with me to be my spotter, and we had many close calls that would have turned out a lot worse if it hadn't been for the help of my spotter. Now, recently I had to do a bit of a minor road trip across Utah. I was only on the road for 5 hours, but it was between the hours of 9pm and 2am. Look, don't judge me, I didn't want to stay in a hotel, I just wanted to sleep in my own bed. The drive started out just fine. I had my audiobooks, drinks, and snacks all ready to go. It wasn't long before the sun dipped below the horizon and I was suddenly dependent on my headlights. Which wasn't a big deal until I was driving through one of the more remote areas and I saw a sign. It said, warning, deer crossing, next nine miles. Which I think translates into, we didn't feel like putting in the effort to build and maintain a fence that's good enough to keep deer from running out in front of cars. So we decided to just phone it in and put a sign up and tell you it's your fault when an entire herd of deer run headfirst into your car. But that may just be my anxiety talking. Well, I was never very worried about it beforehand, but now that I was out in the middle of nowhere with just a little light in front of me, no spotter to help me, and a disorganized mob of dim-witted deers all waiting to become best friends with my bumper, I started getting really nervous. The scenario started racing through my mind. What if I hit a big deer? That can really mess up my car. I don't have the money to fix a whole car, which means I'd have to get rid of my car, and I don't really have a backup plan for losing the car. And now I live in a different city than my school and my job, which complicates that, so now I'm going to fail college and lose my job. Or what if I see one, panic, and try to dodge it? 
My vehicle is an SUV, and at 80 miles an hour, any hard turn will just flip it over and roll it enough to turn me into pulp. And it'll be a while before anyone finds me and everyone's gonna worry. Or worse, what if rolling 25 times doesn't manage to give the interior of my car a nice even coating made of my internal organs? Will I just get to wait in the dark for my eventual demise? Will I still have the bone structure to call for an ambulance and let them know that my everything is broken out in the middle of... somewhere? If I do manage to survive, how much of me will survive? Chances are very high that I'll experience a traumatic brain injury just one semester away from graduating. Broken bones are likely, but I've got a lot of them, and some are less useful than others. But what about my spine? I rather enjoy using my legs, and I'm not quite done with them yet. I'd like to keep using them for a little while longer. No matter what, in the very least, I'd have to spend some time in the hospital, and hospitals are expensive. If replacing my car was a bit of an impossibility, staying in the hospital and not working is really going to inflict some financial damage. (sighs) So why did I do this? Because I know hitting a deer can ruin your day to some degree or another, but I'd never hit one before. And when I take into account just how much highway there was to cover, how much space that was, and how many deer there probably are, the chances of one of them being out on the road as I'm driving by are incredibly small. Regardless, I was in that mental middle ground where I was still pretty sure I was safe, but I wasn't completely certain of that fact. So I started getting the creeps. I mean, I made the drive just fine. In fact, the only time I did see any deer was while there was daylight. Regardless, that didn't stop me from feeling depressed and worried about becoming a carless, jobless, quadriplegic college dropout with amnesia, short-term memory loss, and a mountain of hospital debt who was also dead. And I must say, I'm really glad things didn't turn out that way. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. (laughs) Bryce, (laughs) I'm never going on a road trip with you. (laughs) Oh, I promise. I promise I'm really great. I'm a great driver. I don't get into wrecks. I don't speed. I don't... Knock on wood. Right, right. I don't... I'm really good. Just... I was all alone. You just need a spotter. I just need a spotter. So I need going a on a trip with that's him great, would be better. Yeah, that's yeah. a great uh, life um, idea as well. You, you right. know, that's why you have a husband or wife. Or, right. It's your yeah. always buddy. Yeah, you're having a spotter. I mean, that just gives you that extra... Perca- you know, that's why the term, someone's got your back. Exactly. I mean, it, at night, maybe someone would see it. I don't know. But I just... I would have felt better about it well i've actually hit a deer yes how was that (laughs) terrible and my daughter was traumatized by it because the deer you know you see those movies where it's really funny where the deer face comes flying into the windshield you know that's pretty much what happened Uh. and then it popped off my i had a saturn at the time popped off my saturn and bounded off into the woods my daughter's screaming Um, and there was some damage and there was fur bits in my fender so that was nice but um yeah i mean it's it's a fear but most of the time you're going to be okay most of the time you're driving safely how long have you been driving how many miles have you driven and you've hit one deer and i was going the speed limit thank goodness because my husband would have pulled me over had it not been (laughs) but i mean that's why it wasn't that bad you know it was a windshield repair and fender and of course my daughter in 19 she's traumatized still she still talks about hitting deer and scares her so she has, but you hadn't even hit I one I haven't yet. even hit one. I mean, I came close a few times. Um, elk are the, probably the most terrifying thing I almost hit because they are huge. But yes. even still, like... But you worried about, you worried beyond, what most people worry about the fear of death or getting hurt. You worried about the bills, your <laughs> right. job, you know, Essentially, how you've been spread about around the car. Everything bad that can The happen. next yeah. 60 years. <laughs> that was my time frame. Not just like what could happen right after I hit it. Nope. The I'm whole surprised you didn't worry that you'd go off into a creek and then be have your organs all over the car and also be submerged. You missed that whole. Well, like, I, I guess I'm not worried about drowning. I don't know. Drowning okay. doesn't scare me. Maybe it should. Are you serious? But well, if you're quadriplegic, that would probably be a little more right. Scary. I, I, not much I could do at that point. <laughs> well, that's that's crazy. That's that's. I mean, that's a fear having one fear and compounding it. 
Absolutely. And just it got out of control. Once once I just started thinking about it, it was just like, oh, man, everything's so bad right now. And I just don't. And it was like, I'm driving. It's fine. No one, everything's one sign. Good. One sign. One sign. Da-da. There were yeah. others along the way, which were not helpful. But I was, I was, everything was okay. Do you, have you, had you, had you ever hit a deer? Have, did you know someone who hit a deer? I mean, I've talked to people, but mm-hmm. it hadn't happened to me yet. So you're more worried, you were more worried about your job and finances than you were about that deer. Yes. <laughs> So you yeah, were worried you weren't about thinking the... about the deer at all, Bryce. <clears throat> so inconsiderate. And the deer babies and Bambi. <laughs> right, I moved beyond it. <laughs> so fear, that's, um, it was a rational, I mean, you had some serious concerns that you were worried about, which makes sense. I mean, everyone does have their worries and fears. So interesting. Great rant. Oh. Scary rant. No road trips for you for a while. <laughs> all right, you're listening to Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after this brief break. Whether it's the big picture or the minute details, Marcus Smith loves to discuss anything and everything about the world around us. We're always talking about the big picture. The big picture is good to see. But I suspect that where we are lacking is in our capacity and our appetite to think about the smallest things. Start your day off with Marcus Smith on The Morning Show, weekdays at 7 a.m. Eastern, only on BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. The remaining Boston Marathon bombing suspect pled not guilty in his first court appearance today. If he is convicted of helping to carry out the worst attack on the U.S. since the 9-11 tragedy, he could face the death penalty. Bolstered by a new White House report which says immigration reforms could help boost the economy and reduce deficits, President Obama is now turning up the pressure on the Republican-controlled House to pass new reforms already approved by the Senate. A Senate bill designed to freeze student loan interest rates has failed after a procedural vote. So far, lawmakers have not been able to agree if rates should be capped permanently or follow market trends. Pilots on U.S. airlines will need more experience before being allowed to fly after new Federal Aviation Administration regulations go into effect later this week. However, FAA officials say the new requirements do not stem from the weekend crash of Asiana Flight 214 in San Francisco. Star Wars creator George Lucas is going to be honored with the National Medal of Arts on Monday, presented by President Obama. A White House statement praising Lucas says he has transported us to new worlds and created some of the most iconic films of all time. In world news, former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi's Muslim Brotherhood is being blamed for inciting violence that led troops to kill over 50 of his supporters earlier this week. And now Brotherhood leaders are being arrested. North Korean leaders are opening the door to revive nuclear talks frozen since 2008 but are still not ready to give up their nuclear capabilities, citing U.S. hostility as a need for continued nuclear deterrence. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Powers-Stilson filling in for Matt Townsend while he's off. Maybe he was afraid of being on the show today. I'm just kidding, Matt. We are talking about fear, and we've talked about irrational fears and more rational fears that people have. We have brought in Wally Goddard. He's a professor of family life at the University of Arkansas in the Cooperative Extension Service, and he's well-known for his creative and award-winning family programs such as the Parenting Journey and Marriage Garden. He's also recognized across the nation and his home state, 
in the U.S. for his public television series entitled Guiding Children Successfully. And we've invited him here to talk about fear with us today. Wally, thank you for joining us. Hey, it's good to be with you, Kim. You know, um, I, I was pretty excited. I get to fill in for Matt, and I was pretty excited to talk about fear today. You know, we all tend to worry about the wrong things, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and some examples. Well, I actually made a list of about seven examples, Kim. Um, let me give a, a kind of ridiculous one. Uh, I had a, an astronomy professor who told us that he was once on a radio show, <laughs> and he mentioned that our sun is an, is an aging star, and uh, it's in the latter part of its uh, prime. And a lady called in during the call-in portion and, and was quite panicked. She was ready to pack a lunch. Um, and and he pointed out that uh, we probably have still about a billion years left before the sun gets too hot for us to tolerate on Earth. A billion years. So, you know, we can worry about the sun flaming out, uh, but maybe that's not something that's going to be a big problem in our lifetimes. Or l- let me give you a second example. Um, there's a physician named Leonard Siegel, and he, he said that, uh, you know, Lyme disease is a problem. And and we should take reasonable action. But Lyme disease is probably not nearly as big a problem as Lyme anxiety. So maybe people suffer more real health consequences from worrying about Lyme disease than they actually suffer from the disease itself. Now, you know, that's an interesting observation because I, I actually had a, f- a colleague at work who came back from a camping trip locally, had uh, contracted Rocky Mountain Lyme disease, and she ended up having to leave work, and everyone started experiencing similar symptoms to the ones that she'd had. <laughs> yeah. They hadn't been and hiking, it, though, you know, but they had the same symptoms. And there were anxiety disorders as well. I mean, think of all the uh, lost quality of life due to our fretting, our worrying, our fear. But is that real? Is the anxiety, was that real? Or was that something people could have stopped immediately? Well, you know, there are certain reasonable actions in almost, related to almost every fear, like with Lyme disease. Always after being in the woods, we check ourselves for ticks. It's just the sensible thing to do. Um, but beyond that, to uh, spend a lot of time fretting and worrying, what if, what if, what if I got some bite, what if I didn't notice? I mean, we can just wear ourselves out. Let me give you another example. School shootings. 71% of Americans believe that a school shooting is likely in their community. The reality is that there's one in a two million chance of a child, a person's child being killed in a school shooting. Now, 71% versus one in two million that's a, that's a pretty wide gap, isn't it? Well, and you know, that I can comment on that too because um, I said earlier my husband's a policeman uh, and he they get calls like that all the time. When there's a shooting, all they get all the calls and all the worries and all the, hey, you know, we need to get those, you know, monitors and we need to check backpacks. You know, they get all those calls right around uh, a shooting, whether or not there was any kind of real local concern for that or worry. Yeah, yeah, and so we, because of such a wonderfully effective mass media, mm. we all have made very real and personal the problems that happen anywhere in the world. Yeah, fear sells. I mean, even in your news today, you talk about the the unfortunate tragedy in San Francisco. Uh, two lives were lost, yet on American highways, about 100 people die every day. Every day! And that means about 33,000 people die every year on American highways. Now, 
we are truly saddened about the loss of life in San Francisco in that uh, unfortunate accident. But boy, if we look at the big picture, uh, maybe maybe we ought to be investing more energy in thinking about our driving than in about worrying about airplanes. Well, let's talk about that a moment, especially as it pertains to airplanes. I remember when my mom and dad were kids that they used to have the air sick bags on the plane and people were really afraid of flying. Oh, yeah. And you don't see those. I don't see those anymore in those pockets. Huh. So what is that? What does that mean? You know, I wonder how much of that is anxiety generated and how much of it. I suspect we may have a little bit better um, quality of experience on flights, too. I know pilots make real efforts to dodge turbulent air. So I I don't know how much is accounted for by one and how much the other, but it's sure that there's a lot more anxiety than is justified by the reality. So, all right. So what the difference between anxiety and and I love this quote. um, uh, It's talking about speaking of, of, um, well, you talked about school shootings. So if you'd like to talk about that, I have some other examples, but Merritt has this great quote. It's from Daniel Gardner's The Science of Fear. And it talks about how um, people, cars kill far more people um, than handguns and how handguns and that whole sh- shooting incident are such a big issue. And I was raised by a British father who, you know, in England, you don't, they don't, Bobbies just carry the sticks, right? Versus being married oh. to a policeman who has all kinds of guns, right? And so yeah. she says, or Daniel says, if you are not a drug dealer or a friend of a drug dealer and you don't hang out in places patronized by drug dealers and their friends, your chance of being murdered with a handgun shrinks almost to invisibility. Unlike the risk of dying in a car crash, which applies to anyone, absolutely anyone who pulls out of their driveway. Isn't that beautifully said? I mean, you know, if you avoid those high-risk situations, your chances of being killed by a handgun are just almost non-existent. And same thing with flying, right? Yes. In, in fact, uh, I looked up some numbers. Uh, in the entire history of aviation, including the unfortunate 9-11 tragedy, fewer than 13,000 people have died in plane crashes. And, and then we contrast that again to driving. Three times that many people dr- die every year on American highways. Three times as many as in the entire history of aviation going back to 1914. Now, of course, our intent is not to stir up incredible fear about driving and keep people from going anywhere, but to say, you know, we don't worry about driving because we're so used to it. But the things that feel more exotic or where maybe we feel more powerless, we allow the fear-mongering in our souls to really get amped up. So is that an irrational? So if we knew those stats and looked at it, we would probably be less apt to text in a car, more apt to put on our seatbelts and prepare than we would be worried about getting on that plane and having an airsick bag. Oh, yeah. We we would... uh, we would maybe go to the speed limit. Isn't that a revolutionary idea? If we yeah. actually went to the speed limit and stopped at stop signs and we're just a little more cautious, probably that is one of the more impactful decisions we could make is being just a little more cautious in traffic. Now, not anxious, not neurotic, but just a little more cautious and a little more mindful when we drive. Like you said, texting. Wow, what a there's a big one. And haven't we all been tempted sometimes to just quickly send a message as we're driving along a straightaway. But wow, anyone who's done it knows that uh, you really, if anything pops up during that little window when you're distracted, uh, boy, it's really a high-risk time. Yeah, our fear of being, you know, excluded from something fun or from a conversation 
uh, is also right. What prompts you to pick that up? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to miss the fun, do we? Well, what about, you know, I just kind of on the same vein, I, I was in uh, Ireland and we were just watching random television one night um, and they this commercial came on where these kids were texting and were in this terrible act. It was very graphic, right? Extremely graphic. So graphic that my kids don't text. I didn't have to tell them. They just remembered oh, that commercial and they will never text. Um, so they use fear to... To stop you from doing something that you would be fearful about, which how does you know how does that play? Is that is that effective an effective tool? Well, I guess the beauty of that is it is a fear that is well connected to the reality, as opposed to like for instance, fear of flying is um, statistically silly. Uh, fear related to texting and having an accident. Now, okay, the graphic conditions shown may not be what exactly what'll happen. But, boy, the probability of uh, loss of life and limb is much higher in uh, texting and driving than it is in flying. So does fear have a place? I would say, yeah, it really does. It it can cause us to be just a little bit cautious and maybe more wise. In fact, Gardner quotes uh, – let me, let me see if I can find this, Kim. He, he, uh, he quotes um, Samuel Johnson, who says – Fear is implanted in us as a preservative from evil, but its duty, like that of the other passions, is not to overbear reason, but to assist it. And, and so as a companion to reason, it's, um, it's very useful. So, I, know, I, can, I can give you a, a funny example. We live here pretty close to Tornado Alley, and so probably um, two or three times a year we get those alarms on TV that tell us um, it's headed our way and we better take cover. And um, and so my wife, who's more cautious than I, um, she and I have quite different reactions. She, you know, she starts rounding up um, uh, mattresses to put over in the bathtub and gets ready to chain herself to the plumbing. And um, I pop some popcorn and go out on the front porch because... Um, I read the statistics, and I know that even in Tornado Alley, the chances of a given house being hit by the tornado are so low that you'd have to live there for 4,000 years, um, even in Tornado Alley. In most places, it's um, 10,000 years, and in Nevada, you'd have to live there for a million years before you're likely to get hit by a tornado because the probability is so low. So, you know... Um, some people are really uh, persuaded by the statistics, and I'm one of them. My uh, dear, gentle wife, Nancy, is uh, a little more inclined towards caution. So that's interesting. What can you tell us about the, the disparity in your reactions? Well, I, um, you know, I, I'm not sure what the, what the research says, but I'm guessing there is a gender difference that women on average are a little more cautious, men a little more reckless, but there is also a... Uh, well-observed tendency in humans, the, the myth of invincibility, that sense that somehow the, the uh, snake may get you, but he won't get me, that, um, you know, I can, I'm too fast, I'm too quick, I'm too smart, uh, that he won't get me. So I, I, um, I, I suspect there's also a personality variable in there, that there are bold people among both men and women, but um, we do have different reactions, don't we? Well, we do. And I, I'm wondering, we, we only have a minute before break, but when we get back, I thought it'd be great to talk about evolution. I just saw this movie, uh, 
quit uh, cute cartoon, The Croods. And the mo- the cartoon was based on – have you seen it? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, and it was based around fear. So I'd love to talk about how we've changed and how maybe technology and modern conveniences have changed the, the need for fear. And again, we're talking with Wally Gar- Goddard. He is a professor of family life uh, at the University of Arkansas. We're on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back on BYU Radio with more. The next location for a manned space station might be really far out, as in beyond the moon. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. As NASA contemplates the next steps in manned and unmanned missions to the moon, Mars, faraway asteroids, and more, the question arises, where is the best place to put a space station for supporting deep space missions? The current space station is in low Earth orbit, only about 400 kilometers high. That's still rather deep in Earth's gravity well. To go into deeper space, some advocate a station that's literally far out, even beyond lunar orbit. Thanks to orbital mechanics, there is a location that's uniquely qualified for a deep space jumping off point. It's the Lagrange point, called L2 for short. Lagrange points are spots leading and trailing the orbit of Earth around the Sun, a million and a half kilometers past Earth's orbit where the pull of gravity balances out so that an object at the L2 point stays there until you want to move it. You can save a lot of fuel drifting parked at L2, yet you only need a small rocket burn to jump off in any direction in space from that spot. L2 might end up as our bus station to the entire solar system. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Isn't it time for a little good on your Twitter feed? Follow us at BYU Radio to stay connected with BYU Radio hosts, to keep updated about your favorite shows, and to stay current on Cougar Sports. Just follow BYU Radio on Twitter and keep talking about good. And thanks for listening to us here at BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt, and we're talking about fear today. We've got Professor Wally Goodard on the show, and we're talking about, you know, fears, how they affect us different people differently. And before the break, I asked about evolution. Um, how does fear that kept us alive um, change us today or differ in us today? Welcome back, Wally. Thank you. Good to be with you. You know, um, when you think about evolution, I think um, sociobiologists would say that um, that millennia ago, our ancestors were much more at risk for being eaten by any number of predators or being hurt in any number of ways. So they naturally developed um, some very strong protective mechanisms. Now, the same sociobiologists would say that those mechanisms are alive and well today in a time when they just aren't needed. They just don't serve the same function. The risks today of being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger in Little Rock are pretty small. I don't know about Provo, but I'm (laughs) guessing it's pretty low. It would be so interesting. People probably enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, a saber-toothed tiger might be quite quite a subject of conversation. 
in fact, there are several biases in human perception. And, and again, the biologists would say they're programmed into us to, to assure our survival, things like negativity bias, so that it, when, when something bad happens, we have a strong reaction to protect ourselves from what could threaten our well-being. So I guess we're programmed in some ways, Kim, to to be anxious about the world and to be protective. But uh, what historians will say is that there has never been a lower risk time to be alive than today and there's never been a better time for being healthy. So while we all have our list of anxieties, um, our anxieties today uh, just just pale in comparison to the magnitude and probability of risk from um, risks in the past. Well, so what you're saying is the stats are in our favor, and being aware of those, we should be able to relax a little. Yes. In fact, let me give you another example, and boy, this will be this might be uncomfortable for some people, but we talk a lot about child abduction and, and kidnapping, and there are approximately 115 children kidnapped per year. It's real, and it's a problem. But there are approximately 70 million children. That means that a given child's probability of being kidnapped is about one in a million. And the chances of it being by a stranger in the stereotypical kind of kidnapping is still much lower than that. So um, the bottom line is that a child is two and a half times as likely to drown in a swimming pool as to be abducted, or 26 times as likely to die in a car crash as to be abducted. So um, our focus, our anxiety, our stranger danger talk may be pretty unwise and unbalanced, um, especially since so often when children are abducted, it's not by true strangers. And very often it's not in the stereotypical way that the media has tried to convince us is typical of children being abducted. Well, you brought up a good point, the media. I remember as a child in L.A., grew up in L.A., and there was uh, a a serial killer that was out on the loose. And, you know, they asked all of us on the news to shut our sliding glass doors because his um, mode of operation was to come in through sliding glass doors and stab people in their sleep. And so it was just a horrible, I remember that summer was horrible because we were so hot um, because we had to keep our sliding glass door shut. But in reality, when I was older, I looked back and found out that this guy was in like, you know, a way different part of L.A. County than I'd never been there, never been there since, wouldn't go there. So if they presented that, so does the media play a large role in some of our irrational fears? Yeah, in fact, you know. The media, by and large, depends on fairly sensational stories in order to draw a following. And uh, the same thing is true, of course, for our movies and other forms of entertainment. I mean, you know, let's let's think about how many people have been killed by zombies in uh, Provo <laughs> this year versus Hollywood. I mean, I'm surprised there's anybody alive in Hollywood because <laughs> they're really taking out the population. So, uh, yeah, and and in fact, related to abductions and your question, um, some are saying that the health cost to children of being, uh, shall we say, incarcerated in parental concerns exceed the benefits in safe, potential safety. That uh, there's a very real cost of children not being out and not playing and not being active. And um, we have probably long ago passed the, the uh, crossover point where it became much more costly. Our fear is costing us dearly. Well, it's kind of that's a kind of an evolution based um, thing as well, because if you were to look at it, 
right? When we when I was a, a very little child, we didn't have really wear our seatbelts in the car. Oh yeah. And then the media right. said, "Oh, you know, wear your seatbelts," which obviously is proven to be something you should you should do. Yeah, um, saved a lot of lives. But that same media told us not to keep our sliding glass door open, which caused my brother and sister sign to fight. And I still, you know, rarely speak to the one brother that I shared the room. You know what I mean? So there's sure. there's yeah. consequences of those those information pieces that we gathered that gave us a reality that may not have been it will was is skewed very skewed yeah and and leads to some really sometimes irrational behavior i mean let me give you may i give you one more example Oh, please um rachel carson some years ago wrote a book that was um i think some would say alarmist in spirit about how uh, the chemicals in our environment were destroying us soylent green is that right well and um she wrote silent spring oh silent spring okay yeah and i read that and many Americans were just so anxious. I mean, she observed that, for instance, in 1900, 4% of deaths were due to cancer. But that number was 15% in 1958. Now think about that. From 4% up to 15% in 50 years. Mm. Wow, that sounds really alarming. Except when you realize that most of those deaths were due to things like tuberculosis, diarrhea, typhoid fever, diphtheria, scarlet fever, whooping cough, the very plagues that had been conquered by uh, sanitation, um, our antibiotics, vaccines, those had conquered the diseases. So the reason that the rate went up is not because more people were dying of cancer. It was because we had conquered the other causes of death. So what looks like terrible bad news turns out to be good news. Though there is still a sting on the other end, which is the single best predictor of getting cancer is um, age. And so if you live long enough, you'll get cancer. That means that as we have been effective at extending people's lifespans, more people get cancer. So you have to ask, is that a blessing or a cursing? I, I don't know about you. I'm not willing to trade off the extended lifespan in order to minimize my risk of getting cancer. And really, what's so terribly scary? You know, I mean, we grew up with that whole scare of polio and then cancer. There were so many things to be afraid of. And every time I go to the doctor, they'd say, oh, you're fine, right? There was just all that needless <laughs> yeah. time worried about that. And then I had a really good friend who who spent six years battling cancer. And wow, was she amazing. And, and did I think about it every time I saw her? No. Um, I miss her now. You know, she's gone. But, um, you know, it, it's, it, it wasn't, it, you know, when I was a kid, it seemed like some big dark cloak figure that would consume you. And oh, yeah. it wasn't so, it wasn't so terrible. Even for her, it was just a very sad and she lost, you know, the, her future. But it wasn't a terrible, black, ugly thing that they led us to believe when we were kids. I think what options we have today to fight cancer and extend life and improve the quality of life. I mean, Wow. I mean, it's really amazing. There's scary, like you said, car crash. I that would be way. I think that would be really frightening to be, you know, have that kind of a mangled kind of approach to, you know, if you're going to choose, right? Everybody dies, so if we're going to choose, it just seems like you don't need to have fears. And and that is that something people can work on. Is that something, you know, there's a quick fix to, or do we have to work through that personally? Well, I I think that since fear is driven a lot by our thoughts, I think that the remedy has to go back to the way we make sense of our experience and the way we anticipate the experience. I mean, yeah, the way we think is really a major culprit in our fears. And, of course, those thoughts are stoked by um, 
by, I, I don't want to pick on the media unfairly, but I mean, clearly what is different today from hundreds of years ago is the suffering in South Australia is available to us immediately and graphically today in ways it was not in times past. And so, um, yeah, the, when we change the way we think, when we recognize that uh, some of it is just irrational, and um, the, the, way, uh, the way Corey Ten Boom said it is, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it just empties today of its strength. Um, so we're uh, trading off uh, our, we're selling away our life for uh, that, um, that anxiety that uh, is, is based on pretty improbable events. So if if it's something you've learned as a child, like let's say the way that your parents, I mean, you know, let's say Great Depression, right? Reality happened, people couldn't eat. And that those were stories that, you know, my, my grandmom clipped off the buttons off the coats and everything, you know, and saved buttons. I still have masses of her buttons, right? For something that we, we never needed those. Maybe I needed one or two, but, you know, we never needed all of those buttons. But that was her safety, you know, against being buttonless like she was in the Great Depression. Um I mean, how do we change those patterns when they're not, they're no longer real or, or rational and when we've been told those stories our entire life? Well, and, and just uh, related to that, isn't it interesting that where when the historical issue has been having enough to eat, today's American problem is childhood obesity and adult obesity as well. I mean, our problem is now that we're overfed, but how do we change the feeling? And, and I guess part of it is, uh, what science says is that phobias are the most trainable, both trainable in and trainable out among the various human maladies. Um, that phobias are easily trained. Like you have a, you have a bad experience with, um, you know, uh, an auto accident or a spider or, or whatever it is. You have a, a, a near brush with something catastrophic, and you tend to have an overreaction then. And when, in contrast, we choose to calm ourselves and look at a bigger picture and we can desensitize ourselves over time by taking cognitive control over that emotional reaction. Or we're hanging out with you, right? We could hang out with Professor Goddard. <laughs> That'd be great. Let's get together. We've got great places here in Little Rock to go out to eat. Because you'd be like, okay, well, the stats for this are absolutely, you know, one in a million, so we're fine, versus this, which one in 10,000, so you choose, you know? Yeah, and we'd look at the risk factors. We'd say, you know, if you're not hanging out dealing drugs, then probably gun violence isn't our biggest concern. Why don't we pop some popcorn, sit out in the backyard, and have a nice visit? Well, and, you know, that's, like you said, popcorn. You were you were enjoying the life experience when you were, you know, when the tornado alley um, alarm sounded. You know, is there, are, do some people have some very real physiological reactions to, like, memory, to experiences that happened before that may not be reality now, but were at one point, so it triggers something that actually makes, renders them unable to function normally? Yes, and I want to be really respectful of people who have had really awful experiences um, uh, sometimes there's a very deep and strong and, and automatic reaction to certain certain dangers because of very painful experience. Um, but the reality remains that phobias are the most readily trained out mental problem in um, the human condition. And if we um, get help, I mean, for those that are deep and profound, I recommend some professional help that a person can work through it and try to retrain their mind and retrain their reactions 
So they break a connection between certain sources of anxiety and then the feeling that uh, comes from, ha- has traditionally come from that for that person. Perfect. We're talking with Professor Wally Gardard, and we're going to talk about managing our fear when we get back right after this brief break from the Matt Townsend Show. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. Add BYU Radio's toll-free number to your phone contacts and be ready to chat with us anytime. Our number is 855-CHAT-BYU. Whether you add your opinion to the morning show or ask Matt Townsend a question, we want to hear what you have to say. Again, our number is 855-CHAT-BYU. That's 855-242-8298. Call us. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. The remaining Boston Marathon bombing suspect pled not guilty in his first court appearance today. If he is convicted of helping to carry out the worst attack on the U.S. since the 9-11 tragedy in 2001, he could face the death penalty. Bolstered by a new White House report which says immigration reforms could help boost the economy and reduce deficits, President Obama is now turning up the pressure on the Republican-controlled House to pass new reforms already approved by the Senate. Student loan interest rates are going to be double what they were last year, affecting 7 million undergrads who plan to rely on loan funds when they return to school this fall. A Senate bill aimed at freezing the rate failed today after a procedural vote. Pilots on U.S. airlines will need more experience before being allowed to fly after new Federal Aviation Administration regulations go into effect later this week. However, FAA officials say the new requirements do not stem from the weekend crash of Asiana Flight 214 in San Francisco. Apple has been found guilty of price-fixing e-books with several major publishers. The ruling could affect how books are sold online in the future. A separate trial is going to be held to determine what damages Apple will have to pay. In world news, Syrian rebels may not get the weapons the Obama administration has promised them after both houses of Congress voted to severely restrict funding. Based on fears, weapons will fall into the hands of terrorists. North Korean leaders are opening the door to revive nuclear talks frozen since 2008, but are still not ready to give up their nuclear capabilities, citing U.S. hostility as a need for a continued nuclear deterrent. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Power Stilson filling in for Matt. And we have Professor Wally Goddard on the line with us here in the studio. We've been talking about fear, rational fears, and now we're talking about managing fears and what we can maybe do to identify. I mean, like I said, we could hang out with you, Professor, or we could maybe learn some things we could do at home. Um, I mean, living in Tornado Alley, I would think would be, I was wondering about people who buy houses in floodplains or on the edge of, you know, the Texas coastline. Um, what are they thinking? But, you know, all the days they don't have those uh, terrible rubble, they have beautiful vistas and relaxing, peaceful sea breezes. So um, what are the stats in our favor and can we manage those fears? And so we we still suffer from that myth of invincibility, thinking, you know, the storms may come, but they won't get me. And so that myth of invincibility may keep us from dealing with the really, truly substantial risk factors like building a house on the edge of a cliff or 
Um, you know, it, as we said, in torna- even in Tornado Alley, the chance of a house being uh, hit by a, a specific house being hit by the storm is minuscule. But, but I, I guess I, I thought of three ways of controlling uh, the fear. One would be this cognitive, dealing with the uh, stats, thinking things through, saying, hey, what, what is the risk here? When we know that uh, we're confronting something that could uh, generate some anxiety, we, we try, to, try to estimate what the real risks are. But then related to that, we also try to control the environment. Like, like you said earlier, Kim, we, we stay out of those high-risk environments if we don't want to get shot by a gun. Um, I, I think there's a third that's important for a lot of people, and that would be uh, faith, uh, religious faith. I know in my own life, just the willingness to believe that there is a high, higher power and that we are in the hands of uh, s- someone far more powerful than we uh, makes us, maybe absolves us of some of the responsibility for running the entire universe. And so uh, there are three ways that I think we might uh, help start managing that, uh, that fear that pretty naturally arises in our hearts. You know, I, I love your three ways. And do you mind if we go back over them so that everyone completely understands them? That'd be great. I, I, think, I think the stats, so let's start with stats. You said, so thinking things through. Now, it's important to look at right at your your communications line. So, like, if you're, where are you getting that information? So, the stats. Where do you get your stats versus saying, okay, media says all these people are injured. It's going to happen to me. You know, the guy's going to come through my sliding glass door. How would you suggest assessing that? Well, that takes a a, a cool hand, doesn't it? Like, for instance, the summer of the of the sharks a few years ago. The shark attack rate was no higher than it usually was. It was just a bad news year. So the media turned their attention to sharks, and all of a sudden everybody was afraid that even in Des Moines, Iowa, that the sharks <laughs> were going to get them. And uh, that's just, you know, how do you... How, I guess when we're aware that we're paying an emotional cost for our fears, maybe we go to Google and we do a little searching, and uh, you can pretty quickly find out that some of those fears are very low probability, especially if you're in Des Moines. So uh, it does require a certain amount of cognitive control over those emotions. We have to say, I am not going to take counsel from my fears. I'm not going to let anxiety make my decisions for me. So I think that's the starting place. And in fact, um, it, it is very often fears that fear, the emotional reaction is driven by some interpretation of events. If we can get back to that interpretation we can uh, undo that chain that makes fear so uh, relentless. Okay, that makes sense. I, I know one of the big things my girls do every summer is watch Shark Week, right? Oh, okay. And, you know, we lived in a house on top of a mountain 6,000 feet. We had more chance of them being eaten by a bear. In fact, there was a bear that summer. But all I heard about was Shark Week. And yeah. uh, they did one show on Shark Week where the floodwaters rose up and they had sharks in the river. And that just, that was it. No one would go near a river. Um, and that, that brings me to the second, your second one, which is control your environment. I mean, that's, you, you know, come on. We're not anywhere near a beach or anywhere near uh, shark families. You know, we are, yes. you know, we, we have controlled our environment. Now, but at the same time, I had to tell them, you know, you can't go walking out in dust because there's been a bear sighting. But that, you know, that didn't bother them. They chose to enjoy the more exhilarating shark um, you know, the media, the more popular kind of fear. I, I wonder if we subconsciously do that and choose the one yeah. that's more exciting versus the real one. 
Yeah, like, uh, for instance, uh, kids gathered around a campfire at night telling scary stories. I mean, why do we do that? And why do we love that chill that uh, runs up our spine? Or why do we go to scary movies? Um, you know, why do we? Why are we so fascinated by zombies? What's that all about? And I guess there. I guess we like to be excited. Um, but when the fear is actually starting to cost us, when we're making bad decisions because of it. Um, then we really need to confront it and change that uh, that pattern. Okay, and that makes sense. So first, we said stats. We look at we you know like you said, clear head. Go to Google, search. Okay, you know these spiders really most of them aren't poisonous, so I'm probably okay. Um, that's one way, right? Then control our environment. Stay out of the way of of harm drug dealers out of oceans if you're that scared. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, then faith. I mean, faith is the third one, but it's it's like the strongest, most powerful. Can you give us some examples of that? Um, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, like for instance, when we lived in Auburn, Alabama, and uh, Hurricane Opal came our way. Um, we took all the measures that were recommended, and literally it did come our way, and literally it did drop a tree on our house and caved in our roof. Um, but we um, we set the whole stage for that by saying, let us kneel together and ask for help that we may do what makes sense and be protected from what we cannot control. And while our house was damaged, the net effect of all of that in all the fallen trees in our yard was that we did, uh, courtesy of State Farm, get a new roof and and uh, a really increased bond of love and friendship between us and our neighbors and the people in our faith community. So um, we still uh, we still think that Hurricane Opal was a net blessing for us, even though we don't want our children naming our grandchildren Opal. Opal. <laughs> Oh, that's that's uh, funny. It's it's great that you can laugh, and that I think that's the key. You know, Ogmandino. I don't. Are you familiar with Ogmandino? Yes. Uh-huh. He wrote um, a, uh, several books, but in one of his books, he talks about how every creature, a human, when something her- terrible happened, they 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 cry up to the power to the powers that be or heaven above. You know, they 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 reach to the divinity. You know, in life, um, the unseen to protect them. You know, when yes. they when they ha- they're out of resources, I've run, I've done everything I can do. And, and you know, I think that that is something um, that's something like you said, you, you knelt with your family. I, I think, too, that we need to have faith in the systems that were set up by that very faith. So, for instance, during that big influenza epidemic that killed, you know, hundreds of thousands of people across the United States, they put together systems or regulations or way to prevent that, you know, um, things we do now where we wear masks over our faces or we wash our hands with disinfectant. Those are also systems that have been put in place that could assuage your fears a little. Yes, we learn from our experience, don't we? You yeah. know, because the people have been around for such a long time, we're not, you know, we, we make, we tend to make life better. We tend to improve. We tend to advance. And so those systems, I mean, if you just, like, it, I was in uh, New York in 9-11, and we, we talked about this at the beginning of the show, but um, I, I um, you know, I think what that taught me was that, you know, the worst can happen, and you you can still, maybe you're, it's your, not your turn, but if it is, it is, you know, but yeah. you have to have faith in that. And that's something that's not tangible. And, and from the scientific perspective, um, the research is clear that people who have a vibrant faith uh, navigate life much better. They, it, life is just good for them. Now there's that scientific basis. Then there's also the personal basis. I think that 
those of us who are for whom religious faith is very important and vibrant uh, have felt the benefits in our own lives. Um, I, I think it's also worthy to, to mention a related thing. We talk also about fear as it relates to us. I think there's a lot parents can do to manage fear in their children. And uh, sometimes we don't think about the spillover of uh, societal anxiety into our children's lives. You know, the war and unemployment and storms and terrorism. Children hear about these things and uh, sometimes feel pretty keenly, are they at risk? And I think even as we talk about dealing with our own fears, we might also talk a minute about how we help children deal with fear. I think that's a great idea because my daughter sat in class and heard about this volcano and Yellowstone or Yosemite was going to blow up and it would take out the entire United States. And since then, she sees a little ash in the sky and she's sure the world is over. Um, And that was something that I, you know, I would have liked to have walked her through so she wasn't caring five years later. Oh, yeah. And, And so if we as adults realize that sometimes kids are not able to do any of that assessing that cognitive evaluation, or they can't do it very objectively. And we watch and we notice if they're anxious about something. And sometimes we limit the kinds of media and the amount of media that might be disturbing to them. Um, and, and after doing that, we still watch to see if there's something that seems to be burdening them, uh, bothering them, weighing on them. And then we uh, help them think about it. And one of the things that um, we often don't think to say is, my job as your dad is to make sure that you're safe. And I take that job very seriously. So let me take care of the risk from bears and sharks and volcanoes, etc. cetera. And um, boy, I think that can make childhood so much um, more comfortable and safe feeling for our children. Well, and you are the expert at that. You you have authored um, several books, Drawing um, Heaven into Your Marriage, Soft-Spoken Parenting Between Parent and Child, and you also have this uh, public television series, um, Guiding Children Successfully. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for several years we had um, some television programs that now are still made available through DVDs and actually are used by various organizations around the country. And and our attempt was to try to get really solid information in the hands of parents because, wow, often we operate on uh, flawed ideas and, um, and, and there's just so much that can make a difference. And, and so like, like another book, you talk about books, the, uh, the book Between Parent and Child is a classic parenting book originally written by Haim Gannat. And it talks about how the way we reassure children, the way we help them get past fear um, I have a new book coming out in uh, about a month called Bringing Up Our Children in Light and Truth. So instead of darkness and fear, it's in light and truth. We want to help our children to go towards the light rather than always be anxious about the dark. Wow. that's I think just that perspective made me pause to think, well, how could I have handled so many different things um, better with a more positive versus, uh, you know, fear? I mean, I, I think we... You know, we scare our kids sometimes to get them to behave so that we feel better about them going out at night or something, whereas what you're teaching is a little different. Can you give an example? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, our, for instance, when our teens are going out more and dating, sometimes we have a lot of anxiety, and so we use scare tactics. And, and I think a much better strategy is uh, to sit down with them and say, 
like I think of when our son was going out with some of his friends. This is when we were in Alabama. And uh, he, he wanted to go out on a Friday night. And I said, so do you, do you feel good about it, Andy? Do you think it'll be a safe place? Do you, do you feel safe going there? And he said, yeah. And I said, would I feel good about you going there? And he <laughs> said, well, Dad, some of the kids will be using marijuana, but I won't, so it's okay, right? So, so then it opens the door for us to have a discussion about what problems could arise in an environment where his intentions are good, but the environment has some risks that we'd rather that he not take. So, um, you know, I think those kind of discussions where we help kids think through, and, and Andy's initial reaction was, oh, I'll be okay, Dad, I'm not going to be involved. And uh, he thought about it for a few days and considered some of the concerns I'd expressed and came back later and said, how about if we have the uh, alternative party at our house? And that's uh, that became our tradition, that there was the alternative party at our house. So. So instead of trying to make the decisions for them, we become decision-making partners with them, and we help them process things, help them evaluate risk. And when perhaps they're just a little too glib about the risks, we help them assess them a little better and think through consequences and make decisions that are sensible that in which they're active participants instead of just pawns in our anxieties. And that book is called Bringing Up Children in Light and Truth. Is that right? Yes, that's now, right. Where can we find some information about that? Is that the arfamilies.org? Or? That's our extension website here at the university. The, that book I described will be carried by Deseret Book, and I assume Amazon will have it as well, and will be available sometime in August. And we can always Google you, um, Wally Goddard, and and that's G-O-D-D-A-R-D. That's right. Um, And Wally, is that short for something? Uh, Harold Wallace is the full name. Okay. And I'm named after my grandpa, whose name was Wallace. You know, I've known like two or three Wallies in my life, and they're always the best people. So it's pretty exciting to hear hear that. (laughs) your name, yeah. Well, thank you so much for for talking with us about fear, and also especially for ending on on bringing up our children in light and truth, and maybe talking them through it rather than using scare tactics. I think that was excellent advice. We really appreciated you being on the show today. Good to be with you, Kim. Thank you very much. Again, that was Professor Wally Goddard. You can find him online, and uh, his book is Bringing Up Children in Light and Truth. Like we just said, this is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. We'll be right back with more. The latest new invention down on the farm is self-eating chickens. We'll give you the straight poop on how it works. This is Innovation Now bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Tria Systems is a small company with a big idea for poultry farmers. Farm-raised chickens are raised in large barns which need expensive heating in cold weather, usually from bottled gas. Tria System uses the chicken's own waste products to generate most of the heat required. When you raise a lot of chickens, they generate a lot of waste, which is usually stored in some kind of shed for processing. The natural breakdown process of this waste works like a compost pile, generating heat well over 100 degrees. Tria Systems captures this naturally occurring heat using recirculating fluid in underground pipes. The warmed fluid runs to heat exchangers in the chicken coops and back out to the waste storage unit. Combined with solar thermal collectors on the barn roof, the poultry operation can be self-heating all winter long without any additional heat source, except the chickens themselves. The waste eventually winds up as fertilizer for crops, some of which may end up as chicken feed again. 
Such cogeneration projects are models for more sustainable agricultural operations down the road or across it. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson and have been filling in for Matt while he's uh, scared of coming in. We've been talking about fear. And what an interesting Professor Goddard. How interesting. He had a nice, calm approach to everything. He did. I loved it. It was just he recognized that fear is something you can't necessarily escape, but that it's definitely something you can manage and get over. And that it's part of life and it could eventually just, I mean, you can deal with it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I do too. And back to Bryce's rant before we go to our questions. Um, you know, if Wally Goddard had been in the car being Bryce's spotter, he would have said the stats of this, the stats of this, and you wouldn't have had to worry at all. I would I would have felt better. Yeah. And he would have prayed with you. I mean, he had it all worked out. The three <laughs> steps. He's, there you go. There you go. So just to remember now, next time you go on a road trip, everyone should let us know. And we should tell him to consider the stats, um, control the environment, maybe not drive at night, and then have some faith. Okay. Okay, there you go. All right, so this is the fun part about the, the show that I love listening to when I listen to the Matt Townsend Show and this bright team of Merritt, Rob, Bryce, and Skyler. The questions that people write in. And the snapshot of things that people are scared of are on the internet right now. Not that they're scared of it on the internet. But, <laughs> but there's lots of scary they things on in. the internet. Oh, yes. yeah. Uh, one person writes to say that uh, his wife just lost her job and they're not sure they're going, they're going to be able to pay their bills over the next three months. Or more, you know. That's a that's a big concern for a lot of people. What do, what do you do about that? Have a savings account. Yeah, but but my, right now, what do you do? That might be the three months, you know. Yeah, and that's tough because a lot of people in that situation. I saw someone on Facebook today saying the same thing, and she had all these job interviews, and so, but she done everything she could do. She applied everywhere. What do you do? You watch a movie, I think. <laughs> a happy movie. <laughs> I think I um. I do a lot of work with careers and career searching, job searching, and a lot of things is just, just take action, do whatever you can to stop thinking about the fact that you don't have a job. So if you're extremely proactive, it's always going to turn out better. First of all, you're going to have better self-esteem. You're going to be doing something, so you won't be sitting there worrying about it the whole time, and you're going to be improving your resume while you do it. So a big thing right now is volunteer work. Mm. Recruiters love volunteer work. So if you don't have a job, go volunteer. Like it's something good that you can do. You can eat a meal out of it sometimes. It's just so don't watch a movie. There's <laughs> volunteer. You okay, can either sorry. sit there worrying about it or you can do something about it. And I think a lot of the time taking action is the better course. Great advice. But be positive, right? Like don't sit in the dark and complain. Do something positive. Play, play a game of baseball then. Right. Find, find some way to give yourself a purpose. Don't drive on a road trip with Bryce. Right. <laughs> I'm really safe. That promise. would be the word. Yeah. He would freak me out. Okay. That I hope good luck to them. I hope <laughs> they find one. Another snapshot. A person going in for an upcoming surgery has a 30% chance that the surgery will result in a disability. <gasps> that's all. That's pretty scary. That's, that's something to be afraid of. Oh, I feel so much better about my life right now. That's horrible. That's scary. But what do you do? So you, you take those steps. The statistics Three steps. I mean, I'll, are scary. I'll assume, I'll assume there's it's not a lot you can do to control the situation. Okay, 30%. I don't know. That's I, a faith one. That's where you really got to be. Yeah, faithful. you're down to the third step. There. I mean, I'm going yeah. to assume not having the surgery is worse than having the surgery. 
Yes. Yeah, they're not specific. And that's true. Actually, if you flip the statistic around, there's a 60 percent chance that it won't result in something right. bad. Well, and yeah, my 70 percent. You're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, that's called well, the lower 10% actually. is just like maybe, you know, they weren't listening to the show. That's why so. I would get a C-plus in my calculus class. <laughs> I got the calculus. It was the simple oh, addition. But we're in a wrong. tall building, so maybe that's the problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, very – that's very – yeah, faith. I go with faith. You know, a person uh, after the divorce is final ever worried whether they'll ever meet someone again and remarry. Huge fear, especially for – I have friends that are more widowed at like, you know, my age recently, several, and they – you know, they're in their 40s and they there aren't enough people out there to date. So that's a big – so that's where we could go back to his three points though because the first one was uh, stats. The stats maybe aren't in your favor but you can increase those by controlling your environment and getting on, you know, the online dating. They say online dating has revolutionized um, the, the partnership expectancy for people over 40, 50. Yeah, I've heard for, for people, you know, in the middle part of life it's uh... – it's a great tool. Yeah. So, so that's our recommendation. That and faith would be good that you get a good one. Yeah. That gives you something to be proactive yeah. about and control the situation. Another snapshot here. This person has a second round of interviews for total with one of the most powerful investment firms in the world. So you can imagine that would be something they'd like to have work out. Mm-hmm. Worried is an understatement to how I feel right now. Why? What a great opportunity. That's – I mean, that's fabulous. I'd be excited. <laughs> it does, but I I can kind of understand the the whole they're giving he had, he's I think this person is looking at it like I have four chances to ruin this. Oh. That's what I think. I have four Again, chances. No road trip to, with you. To just like well, like three just, more. They passed the first one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but what? they're that's doing it lucky they got in the door. It really is. It really is, but at the same time, there's still like most people most places only interview once, maybe twice. Well, I guess if you okay, so you look at the statistics. Don't tell the The interviewer. odds of getting weeded out in the first round is probably Yeah, he's already there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's great. You made it to the second round. Control the situation. Instead of looking at it as there's this neat thing that's out of my control and all I can do is mess it up, look at it the other way around is you're not getting the job. But here's your chance to grab a hammer and get in and try right. to build a house or so to speak. You know, try, you're in charge of being able to build something that could turn into this job. And Faith, if it's right for you, you'll get it. Right. I don't know if that sounds – I mean clearly they like him. Right. I'm assuming yeah. him. Uh, listen, I've worked with – I mean well, I've worked in that industry and you, that's great. He's fine. <laughs> really. I had a friend – I mean we're still at a friend that was on the Angels Farm team and he could taste it. You know, He was doing great and he injured himself and that was it for his you know, second baseman job. I mean that's, that would hurt more. I mean eh, interview, you don't get it. Well, whatever. Go get the next one. If he could get into that bank, he can get an investment firm. He can get into anyone I think. And uh, one more snapshot here. Rob's like, I don't care. <laughs> oh, I do care. I just, I didn't, wa- I didn't want to walk on your comment. Oh, okay. It was a good it comment. You know, <laughs> it's like pe- people would do one up and ship. They would tell a story and they go, Oh, that's a great story, but nothing compared to what happened to me. You know, um, I have an auntie like that. Yeah, sorry. Constant one up. No, again. I'm sorry for you. Uh, he, and Bryce, <laughs> my auntie and Bryce are the twins. <laughs> uh, another snapshot here. This person's saying they're starting a new job tomorrow with. Much more responsibility than they've ever had in any job before. I'm excited because it's a great job. I'm overwhelmed because I love the employer and I'm worried I can't meet their expectations. Normal. Yeah, legit. Like, it's probably a good thing he has that fear because he's going to, this person's going to pay attention and 
Yeah, it brings it back to Merritt's original thing about the... Be proactive, yes. do your research. And use just, your passion. Yeah. Like, use your passion to be to perform even better. Yeah, if he's excited about the job already, then just go in, and take one him. thing at a time, and you already got the job, so obviously you did something mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And they're going on faith, and I think it's like back to um, that passion that fuels your finest. My father said this, and this is the best advice my father probably ever gave me. He said, any new job, you go in for three months, you just be quiet. Keep your mouth shut and observe. Find out who the leaders are, who the decision makers, who are the people that take action, and then, you know, follow their example. And it was the best advice. I mean, it's it's been a, it's moved me from a, you know, a basic entry level to vice president of corporation just because I followed that advice. So that, I think that would be great. That would be more control your environment, though. You know, I'm going to decide how I'm going to act, and it's not going to be crazy. Oh, okay. We're out of time. Sorry, I'm talking away. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to the Matt Townsend Show. We talked about fear. We talked about managing fear. And thanks to those who submitted the questions. Um, and again, I'm Kim Power Stilson. And thanks for listening to the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.